giant robot smashing into other giant robots. This is the Giant Robot Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast, where we explore the design, development, and business of great products. I'm your host, Lindsay Christensen. And I'm your other host, Chad Pytel. And today we're going to talk about product roadmaps. Product roadmaps! Whoa! This is a topic I feel like recently I've seen some thought pieces that product roadmaps are dead. Mm. So I'm curious if you think product roadmaps are dead. No, I, I don't think that they're they're dead, but I, I want to make the distinction too. I've never believed in a public product roadmap because I think that sets you up for just disappointing everyone involved, your customers, you know, yourselves. And I think that there's a balance to be struck there, but I'm a big fan. If, like saying that product roadmaps don't have a place is like saying that like, to me, in my mind, is like saying like planning, having plans doesn't have a place. And like that just doesn't ring true to me. I, you know, I think you should plan out what you're going to be working on. But I'm sure we'll get more into it. I also believe things about like not having big backlogs and not doing too much planning and, you know, th- that kind of thing. So it depends on what you mean by a product roadmap. Well, yeah, I think that therein lies the issue, right? Like you can, right. you can do it well and you can also <laughs> run it into the ground. Right. But you mentioned having it public and that mm-hmm. being a bad idea. And I think at the core of product roadmaps is communication and alignment and getting all of your stakeholders on the same page about what you're building and why. So to me, I would think those stakeholders are the leadership team of the company. You know, if this is a product company and the, mm-hmm. the product's like the main business driver, you know, the leadership of the company, the product team, of course, and engineering, sales and marketing as well. Am I missing others? Clients? Customers? Well, right, how do you customers. feel about it? Does that count as like the externally facing, like do not reveal? Oh, yeah, it, it does for me. I mean... So we've all seen the companies that sort of say that they're going to do something. And then in a best case scenario, that becomes a deadline, which was arbitrarily made in the first place that everyone is stressing out over that sales is potentially making promises to that are either going to need to be broken or are going to need to be super stressed over. And then in a worst case scenario, you end up not delivering on that roadmap as you essentially promised, and you actually end up with disappointed customers. So no, you would recommend no telling the customers about future features. Yeah, I think there's a balance to be struck there. So Certainly, if you know that you're working on something now, like actively working on something, and a customer were to like ask you about that thing directly, I might say, "Yeah, you know, we're working on that now, and and uh, we're excited about getting it out to you." But I have only <laughs> ever been a part of, you know, when a team is saying Q3 of. Next year, you know, six months, nine months down the road, this specific feature is going to make it to customers. That's a real recipe, in my experience, a real recipe for lots of people being either really disappointed in that not happening 
or really working unsustainably in order to hit that in the first place. It's really hard to plan software that far in advance. We just had the CEO of Dragon Innovation on the podcast, and I think that even then you have to be careful with with hardware, but at least with with hardware or other kinds of businesses, it's a little bit easier to say, our goal is to have this incorporated into the product or whatever in, in the next revision of the hardware, and we expect to do that two years from now or something like that. Right. That's a little bit easier to sort of put a bow around, I think. Yeah, I was a part of a software company that got acquired by a hardware company and all of a sudden we were kind of wrapped into these five to 10 year kind of product roadmaps that were yeah. you know blowing all of our our minds and a very different fit than what we were how we were used to working. Yeah. There are some companies it's worth noting that there are some companies that essentially they go so far as to like publish a Trello board of their roadmap. I don't know which ones they are. I have to find them. But you know, even then, they're not necessarily making hard promises. And you know, if you're committed to being transparent and publishing some sort of roadmap to the public, the ways that I've seen it done best are sort of working in themes. So you say like two quarters from now, our focus is going to be on, I don't know, reporting mm-hmm. or something like that. That is a little bit because you're not making specific promises. You're just establishing a theme of what your focus is going to be on for that time. You can imagine you can still get yourself into a position where that customers are putting all their hopes and dreams on what that's going to look like. And maybe your you know support staff or salespeople or whatever start to make promises about what's going to be delivered in that time. And then again, a bunch of people end up disappointed. Yeah, I've also seen what I think to be the most successful roadmaps be based around themes. And I think it also, again, going back to that, the fact that it's in addition to actually delivering product and delivering good product, it's helping align your internal team around like what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So to rally, you know, your whole team or your whole company around reporting is the next you know, big thing that we're working on. This is why, this is what we've heard from users, from our research. And, you know, this is the direction we're going in and then actually getting everyone kind of working towards reporting in in their own ways. You know, like marketing can be working on content around reporting. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully sales is seeding the idea, maybe not promising um, ar- around reporting as well. But And that also you know, really appeals to me as a marketer and as someone who's thinking often about, you know, how, how do we get folks moving in the same direction, speaking the same language and creating some momentum around something that can differentiate us, get people excited about what we're doing, and hopefully is also, you know, strategically valuable to the company, you know, adding a new feature or entirely new product, you know, you're expanding your your offering and maybe even your market reach. Who do you think are the most important folks within the company to be driving the product roadmap? Who owns the product roadmap? Well, <laughs> okay. So if you have a company that has a roadmap, 
I'm getting distracted by the premise here because let's just come back to that a bit. Like momentum is key. Like you use the word momentum. And if you're, if you're feeling the need to plan things out or to gain a sense of clarity on your team about what's going to be done and what's important, and you need to do a long-term roadmap in order to do that, that to me does point to it's sort of um, like a, it's a it's a smell. It's what we do when, when there's like a code problem. We say it's a code smell. Like it points to like if you had a team that was continually delivering value to your customers, to your users, and that you had a team where when sales or marketing or someone learns something about what will be valuable to customers and it's validated that it's valuable and it gets put into the design and development process, and it comes out relatively soon, there's no need for a product roadmap. No, or I should say, people don't feel the need for a product roadmap as much because they have high confidence that user needs are going to be met in a tight feedback cycle, and that that there's not a loss of momentum, and things going into the system are coming out in a week, two weeks, three weeks, even four weeks, you can maintain that sense of a momentum of we understood that this was important. We validated that it was, it went into the system and it came out the other side and it's in the hands of users. It's only when that starts to break down that stakeholders start to say, we need to plan, (laughs) we need a roadmap because they lack the confidence that putting things into the system, they're going to see them come out the other side in a you know a way that maintains momentum. Does that depend on the size of the company? Well, ideally, um, you know, even companies of large size are able to do that. But we all know that that's difficult, right? It may be that most companies just can't do that. And um, when that's the case, you you have that breakdown, you have that lack of confidence, you have a system where you, you aren't putting things in and quickly seeing them come out the other side. And so that's where something like a product roadmap, you start to say, we, we need that in place. And I think that that's why it often happens as teams get bigger, um, as companies get more complex. Interesting. So product roadmaps are not dead, but roadmap can be a smell. Yes. Yeah, that's what I would say. That's my opinion. Yeah. Who owns that smell? So now to get back to who owns the product roadmap, if your customers aren't the ones driving what's on the roadmap, then something is fundamentally broken. So like at the end of the day, the real owners of the product roadmap, even though they probably shouldn't see it, are the the users, the customers. But I don't think that's the question you were asking, like who, who you know, who who decides what's on the roadmap. Uh, it's got to be the people who are closest to hearing customers and who have the vision for what the product is supposed to be. So that will often be the you know the company leadership, the, the CEO, the chief product officer, something like that, um, combined with uh, people who are talking with customers. So in the the opposite end of the spectrum, if you know it's a big company and maybe it's a little bit harder, to operate without the roadmap. If you're a really small company and you already, small and young company, let's say, and you already have a, a roadmap, is that too much? Well, 
you know, this is a podcast, so we can we can have opinions. I would say, yeah, like <laughs> gross uh, opinion, t- high level position. Um, yeah, you should probably not have that roadmap. Now, the devil is in the details, right? Like, what is the roadmap? Is it high level themes? Is it, you know, I'm building this idea and I'm a visionary about what this product is going to be. And I've laid out in broad strokes, you know, we've done an initial version, a minimum viable product, and we have a vision for where we're going over the next year or two. There's a way to do that, which doesn't then like convert into this rigid product roadmap. And I think that that's what people who say like product roadmaps are dead and you shouldn't be doing them, whatever, That that's what they're pushing against is that really rigid sort of expectation setting system where promises get made and then broken. Right. And and promising, especially deadlines far mm-hmm. out into the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and they also understand or believe that if you have a product roadmap, it potentially puts you in a position where you stop listening to customers because you say, in six months, this is the thing that we're going to be working on. And then you get there and you just work on it and you deliver it without having learned along the way that the next most important thing might be something completely different. And so that's another risk with product roadmaps is you start working to the roadmap instead of start working to what your users are telling you. So at that company I, I'm surprised. I, I mean, I'm not surprised to hear that it was you know five year, ten year thing. It's based off of um, thing. Was it really concrete, or was it more sort of vision stuff? It was very concrete, I would say. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's interesting because it was a lot of it was around trying to be first to market with like cutting edge technologies. And on the hardware side, there was also like, you know, R&D and like multiple scientific teams working on specific things. Um, and actually to to get more concrete, uh, I think I can share without giving specifics. It was so it was 3D printing and there's like an arms race in 3D printing to be able to print with new materials. Mm-hmm. So you had there's like multiple teams working on trying to figure out how to print with new materials. And then we had these really long-term product roadmaps that were like, you know, by this year, we're going to have, you know, gone to to market with it mm-hmm. and using that as a way to stay ahead of the competition, basically. It's really, yeah. I mean, I can imagine that from a business perspective, you're looking at that situation and you say, and if this is true both in, in science and in software, but it's from a business perspective, it's saying, if we don't have this deadline in place, then we have a research project that's just going to go on and on. Like we need this timeline, this deadline to hold everyone accountable to what a goal is and to make sure that we're bringing new products to market in that time frame. And then the scientists are probably saying like <laughs> we have no idea like it's completely arbitrary. It's completely, you know, we think that we could do this, but what happens when we don't? Like what happens when we don't have something? It's sort of like, you know, a lot of times I make an analogy between science and even software development and like art because it is a creative process. It's all in our heads and we're like we're just coming up with it. Like you can say, I need to have the book or I need to have this painting finished 
by this time, but it's very difficult to then ensure that that is actually going to happen at the creative level of saying like, I'm proud of this work or, or, Mm -hmm. you know, it's good. It's hard to, uh, to do that. Yeah. And I think there was an element too of either we will figure it out or we will acquire whoever figures it out. So, and then there's a separate team Mm -hmm. that's off trying to suss out who's figuring it out and how much, (laughs) you know, what are they willing to be bought for? Right. Yeah. And, you know, maybe from a business perspective, a lot of that makes sense. And you have to balance all of those things in order to try to be successful from business perspective. Yeah, it's interesting on the hardware side too, especially as you do get like closer to actually launching. Mm -hmm. You know, it can be very uh, waterfall-esque working towards launch because there are so many dependencies in order to get the thing built and shipped and launched on time. I found a Quora thread about companies that have uh, made their roadmap public. Did did any do it successfully? <laughs> I've only seen like nightmare stories, you know, like let this be a lesson. Here's a company that made their roadmap public and, you know, within weeks they were disappointing people and Right. You know, I think that it's tempting, you know, and I think we should just do it. It's like part of the benefit of not having a roadmap that people say is that it allows not only the flexibility for what you're going to do to change based on what you learn, but the other is it offers you the opportunity to surprise and delight customers. And it allows you to to not to say, this thing is six months away, but to say, here it is now. Mm-hmm. And one of the best examples of that that I think we're all familiar with is Apple. Like Apple doesn't typically pre-announce products that far in advance. And you know that they're even a hardware company. They're clearly working on things years in the making, but they don't talk about them publicly until it's like, you can order this today or you can order this on Wednesday. And the excitement and momentum that Apple builds around that, um, sort of like the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Willy Wonka kind of, you know, secretive thing is super exciting to customers and they're super successful doing it. And, you know, last year we had a really public thing where actually it was, I guess, two years ago that the saga started when Apple unusually announced Air Power, which is a charging mat that could charge both your phone and your watch and everything all at the same time. They announced that far in advance, and then it actually ended up never shipping, and they eventually canceled the product. And they had to do all of that publicly, which is very, very different from Apple. I imagine that there are tons of products that Apple thinks that they're going to eventually release, and they don't work out, and they have to kill the the projects. And the, all of that happens behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. So we we don't know of anyone who does it successfully. Was Quora say? Quora doesn't know. A lot of the companies don't even, they're not even in business anymore. <laughs> well, <laughs> there you go. Okay. Buffer has a, apparently has a Buffer transparent product roadmap. And I guess if there's any company that s- sort of does transparency pretty well that I could point to, it would be Buffer. So we can link to that in the show notes. You know, how does this board work? 
We've made this to give you a clear view into what we're working on, what we're about to work on, and what we're thinking about working on. We hope you enjoy the peek behind the scenes. They have uh, four lanes, potential, next up, in progress, and done. They have voting enabled on the Trello board, so their customers can vote on the different things that they have uh, going on. Are you in the actual board? I am on the actual board, yeah. How many votes? Like, what kind of numbers are we talking? Okay, so the in-progress thing that they are currently working on is a better way to manage campaigns in Buffer, and it has four votes. Oh. (laughs) So it doesn't seem like there's tons of engagement. There's another one. Best time to post to maximize your reach has seven votes. Okay, so pretty low number. Pretty low. Oh, here's one. Flexible pricing for Buffer has 67 votes. So I think you can get a a little sense of the engagement that's on there. But I like this. You know, there's no description on these cards. It's just that a better way to manage campaigns and buffer. So they're not saying what they're going to be doing. There's no timelines on any of these cards. It was only moved to in progress. And they're not saying anything on these cards from what I can see that about when it's going to be done or what is actually going to be entailed in it. So they're, they're really, you know, I encourage people to look at this. It's pretty, pretty good uh, in terms of potentially ways to make a public roadmap work for you and your customers. And what about ThoughtBot? We also heavily gravitate towards the, the Trello management. Yeah. I mean, this is clearly not their actual Trello board. Uh, it's it's a specific board created a, for a transparent a roadmap. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, if we if if we were going to do something like this, I mean, I guess it, it meant in as far as tools, mm-hmm. what are things that you have seen work with? My guess would be Trello because we use that a lot for managing projects. Yeah, we use it for managing pretty much every project. And you know, longtime followers of Thoughtbot will know that we used to use a tool called Pivotal Tracker. And then we created our own tool called Trajectory, which doesn't exist anymore. But the big thing about that was it was really meant to address the flow between sort of coming up with ideas and the design, thinking that goes into evolving a product idea, and then breaking it down into stories and doing the stories from there. And we switched to Trello in part because of the flexibility of Trello. Like Trello is not specific to any one product or any one workflow. And so just the nature of software development, and this is again, a reason why product roadmaps can be troublesome is because things change constantly. You're constantly learning. You should be meeting on a regular feedback cycle of not only how is our product working for people and what should we do differently, but how is our process of developing that product working and what should we be doing differently? That's one of the great things about Trello is that because it's so flexible, you can say like, yeah, we're having this problem with our process. Let's change it. And you can usually find a way to embrace that flexibility in Trello. And how do you know that your product roadmap's on the right track? Or, you know, what are some smells that, uh, you know, you're going in the wrong direction? You know, we talk about customers being happy. What does that actually mean? And what does that look like? If the things that are going into what you're doing on your product are coming from users and then they're going back to them and they're receiving usage, (laughs) that's a really good sign. And a lot of teams look at and measure cycle time. So the total time 
for something that goes into the process to come out the other side and get in the hands of users. And a lot of teams, really high-functioning teams, will be working to make that as short as possible. And one of the reasons why is because that gives a sense to your customers that your product is continually moving forward in a way that comes from their needs. And that's a really good place to be in. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. Do you use any products where you feel like they've got that flow working really well? As far as asking for feedback and then incorporating it into the product? Yeah, or even just that you use the product and you're maybe not even giving them feedback directly, but you you're, you sort of like have a vague sense of how your need might not be met or, or what, and then and they're releasing features and that kind of thing on a semi-regular basis where you say like, I didn't even realize I needed that. But now that I have it, it makes me happy. Or boy, that really solved this problem that I was facing. I think the one that comes to mind immediately is Slack, actually. Mm -hmm. I feel like their product releases often speak to something I was feeling. Mm -hmm. Like I think especially they seem attuned to the fact that it can create a lot of noise. Mm -hmm. And so providing and or increasing the um, different ways that you can kind of personalize your own experience so that you can, you know, mute things or have certain kinds of notifications or, um, you know, be able to set hours that you're away and unavailable. Those releases, I think, feel especially uh, personal when I see those come through. I think you're right. Slack is one where that would be the case. And it's worth noting that Slack does publish a roadmap and they've been doing it for a couple of years Particularly, it seems like from the outside, a big part of what drove that and what's in their marketing around it is better setting expectations with their enterprise customers and that sort of thing, rather than necessarily like not meeting the needs of actual users. They also seem like especially responsive and helpful out in the world too. Mm-hmm. Like uh, on I I've seen multiple instances of folks I know tweeting about, you know, something that a bug or something in in Slack and very quickly the Slack account is like responding with how to fix it or, you know, notifying that it's been logged and they'll be following up kind of thing. Yeah. Now that being so I'm looking I'm looking at the Slack uh one a little bit more and it seems like it's particularly the roadmap is centered primarily around what they call the platform roadmap. So it's more like APIs and system level things that they're going to be focusing on or adding rather than user facing features. So it's more serving the needs of people who are building on top of the Slack platform versus saying that their product is going to have a specific feature at this time that's user facing. That's interesting. Which makes sense because people building on top of the Slack platform who are really dependent for their business needs on the Slack platform are going to have high expectations for knowing what's coming and knowing that their needs are being addressed at some point in the future. Right. Yeah. And on the enterprise side, as they're getting more enterprise customers, 
I imagine that could come into play as well, where enterprise companies are going to have, you know, some dependencies or requirements that, you know, maybe the Slack team hasn't had to deal with before, um, which could be integrations. It could be certain kinds of security measures, which if, you know, they're definitely working on those or like creating those, the necessary partnerships, it can also make sense to say, you know, we're, you know, we have in our sites, you know, this integration or the security measure coming, mm-hmm. uh, you know, by the end of the year kind of thing. Yeah. So one that I have, and it's interesting because I think they've been doing a good job lately, but they went through a real period of time where I felt like they weren't doing as good a job with it is GitHub. So GitHub lately has done a much better job of, for me as a developer, as a user of GitHub every day, delivering features where it's like, yeah, either this is awesome and it fills a need that I was, or a pain that I was really having, or I didn't even realize that I was going to need this feature. And now that it's here, I can't imagine it being any different. And they do that. As far as I know, there's not a public roadmap for GitHub and GitHub. And I, I could be completely wrong on this. They do a conference. They do, they do shows and what they're doing at that is they're announcing things. So they're more on the, the sliding scale towards Apple where they're announcing general availability or beta availability of new features at their sort of events as opposed to saying, here's what the roadmap for the next year looks like. Mm-hmm. Which does create you know, a forcing function of yes. having things ready enough you know, maybe not launchable, but ready enough that you can at least, you know, talk about it and talk about the timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we had the product manager of the um, payments that GitHub announced on a previous episode. And that's one of the things, her name's Devin. That's one of the things she talked about was working towards that deadline of that presentation and how stressful it was and making sure that they managed scope within that. So do you think GitHub has been doing a better job since they were acquired? <laughs> uh, it doesn't so much match since when they've been acquired, but there was a period of time where, and maybe you know, it, it could be that there's nothing GitHub specific about this, but there's probably a, a period in every product's time where you go from, this is a new thing. And so there are so many new features that are low hanging fruit and you can quickly roll them out, bang, 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 for a long period of time. Your roadmap is just sitting there in front of you waiting for you to do it. You don't need to worry too much about it. That's depending on the product, probably six months, a year, two years, maybe you know, even five years. But then you're going to work your way through that list. And the things that you do next, particularly if you sort of reach a growth stage, which means that your core customers may be different than your original core customers where you can enter a lull and you need to take some time to figure out what the next phase of your product looks like. Mm-hmm. It's possible that it happened with GitHub. I tend to think that it's more that internally GitHub had real challenges <laughs> and was really, you know, we, we know it, it had some issues um, with sexual harassment and uh, workplace issues like that, I think that really got in the way of GitHub functioning well. That's my, my theory. But again, I'm totally on the outside. <laughs> but I do know that they went through 
some significant restructuring and addressing a lot of those issues and creating what is hopefully a more inclusive workplace where people can do their best work and then good work started to come out again. Mm-hmm. As far as you know, launching products or new features, it's always interesting and, and challenging, I think, with SaaS products where you're continuously releasing improvements and how you think about, again, from my, um, this the marketing fun of it too mm-hmm. a little bit is like, how you think about like when is something uh, like a new launch? When is something a significant enough new feature? Even, you know, is this actually a separate <laughs> product mm-hmm. uh, from what, you know, we've been offering? And sometimes that can be really obvious, like the, you know, going back to the reporting example, you know, that's a nice kind of shiny new toy in your platform that you're going to have like a, a dashboard. Then the the <laughs> difficult ones are, you know, performance (laughs) improvements. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was curious if if you have any takes on that too. Yeah, this is where what I've always done on the products that I've worked on and ThoughtBot has created several products that have been fairly successful, um, not only for our clients, but for ourselves as well. I've always favored not underestimating people's ability to absorb significant product changes as long as they're coming from a place of like, you know that they are needed. And that if you're shipping regular new things on a basis, not all of your customers know about that right away. And so you can take a marketing touch point for those changes and even though you have a sense of urgency about communicating them right away, you do have some time to do that. Mm-hmm. I think I said earlier when I was starting out, I said underestimate people. I, I think it, I, what I think I meant was overestimate. Like we, as people very close to the product, assume that the minute we deploy a new feature or a change, that everyone in the world is going to know about it. And that's just not the reality of. Mm-hmm what it's going to be. So rolling out new features, you have to communicate them to the people who are touching them and are, who are hitting them. But there's, there's almost multiple layers of marketing and communication for any new feature that's going out, communicating with immediate customers that are touching a new feature, and then making sure that everything that's going out is flowing through marketing and is coordinated with marketing around what those touch points are going to be. And a general guideline that I've always used is at least once a month, there should be a, a major roundup or communication about a significant change that has been made. And I've always felt really good about the products that I was working on if we were in that cycle. Like we're mm-hmm. continually delivering new things, but then on a monthly basis, there's at least one new either individually significant thing that we can talk about or absent of that doing a roundup of a theme of changes or just here are three major improvements we've made in the last month. Yeah, I totally agree. It's great to have those opportunities to engage with with customers and keep them invested in in the product and you and, and looking forward to those regular updates as well. Right. So when we think back to Trello boards or roadmaps and that kind of thing, like I don't think marketing should be 
after that fact, marketing shouldn't be saying like, what was just released? Can we, can we know? And then responding to it, marketing should have insight into what's in the backlog. What's the next things that are going into production? What are the, what are the things we're planning now? And they should be contributing to that process and to add, because in a lot of companies, marketing is going to be on the front lines of interacting with customers. So you're going to hear things and you're going to see things and that should contribute to the process. Right. Ideally, the the marketing team is also customer facing Mm -hmm. and and providing those insights as well and tapped into what folks are having challenges with or looking forward to or as well as, you know, what else they have their eye on that, you know, others are, are offering or trying out. Um, that are your competition. Right. So that's the cadence that when I'm in charge of a product, I've tried to achieve. It's easier to do in the early days of a product when, like I was saying, sort of, you don't even need the road. There's so much low hanging fruit and everything is valuable and the priorities are relatively clear. It's harder to do to maintain that pace far into your product's future, not only because what you're doing is less clear and maybe less valuable to all of your customers, but also that daily, weekly, monthly pace can be difficult to keep up indefinitely, just from a sustainability standpoint. Yeah, I feel like sometimes I even see products incorporating content, you know, in those later stages as... Mm -hmm ways to keep folks engaged and updated and have that be, you know, a feature of the product, whether it's uh, community-based or the company itself actually um, producing new content and uh, incorporating that into the product. Yeah. So a really good example of that is, boy, we've had a lot of good people on the podcast, is the folks at Wistia, which is a local company to Boston, and they're continually evolving what their product is offering and they're launching new features, they're doing new things. But a big part of what you see publicly from them is also new content that helps people be better creators. So they're a good example that comes to mind of a company that does that pretty well. So we're going to be talking to three other startups of different stages in different industries about how they approach their product roadmaps. Any sense for like what might be consistent versus what is different? I, I imagine you also have insight from jumping into seeing like a, a ton of client projects. You know, are, are certain areas of product roadmap more consistent than others? I suspect what we're going to hear from the early stage companies is that they actually have a what they. They're, they're probably either going to say, we have no idea. We're just flying by the seat of our pants. But actually, I think it wouldn't be surprising to me if that clear, like there's just so much low-hanging fruit in front of us that that gives them a sense of clear product roadmap. And they say, yeah, you know, we do know. We have a, do have a sense of what we're going to be doing next week and the week after. But they're going to not be so worried about what six months from now looks like. And I think a common trend of later stage companies I wouldn't be surprised to hear that they're very focused on partnerships and external relationships in a way that early companies aren't. And that is one of the factors which we haven't really touched on is like anytime you start involving external people, sort of the same way with the Slack is like people who are depending on you for their own business needs outside of your users 
creates more pressure for you to set expectations with them and to introduce a roadmap. So companies that are really focused on that, who have channels and partnerships and that kind of thing are going to have more uh, desire or pressure to introduce some form of roadmap. Yeah. And in a way, that's the later stage companies low hanging fruit when yeah. you know you bring in a partner or you make an acquisition and immediately kind of fill in a need that you've identified or an opportunity that you've identified instead of taking your existing team to build it or you know right your team or or work with someone like a, a thoughtbot yeah and and you know it could be that that is that like actually that is totally the right thing because if in an if you give everybody the benefit of the doubt and you say this product has been well managed that it has been user centric to meet the needs of the users then you're going to get that cycle you're going to get in the early days we know what we should be doing and our users are telling us and we've got a lot of things to introduce into the product to fully meet the needs of those customers and you're going to do that and it's going to serve you for a really long time for delivering new things to them. But at some point, again, given the benefit of the doubt, assuming you've done that and things have gone well, there is a point at which you say, we've delivered all of that and we have a product which is meeting the needs of our users. It's fulfilling the job to be done of those users. You say, okay, great. So we're either bringing new people in who might have different needs and different jobs to be done, or we are exploring other business opportunities like bringing on partners and opening up new channels, which are then either they have their own needs that are driving your product roadmap, or they're bringing in customers who have a different job to be done. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's an easy way for early stage companies too to add, you know add a partner and mm-hmm. gain access to their audience but it's not likely that they're going to want to partner with you <laughs> right cuz you're you're just not you're not bringing anything to the table so you got to do that building first right yeah so we'll we'll see what they say i'm looking forward to the conversations so lindsay you have some personal news yes i uh with mixed emotions I, uh, I'll be moving on from, from ThoughtBot and the podcast. This comes as a complete surprise to me. You're, you're just bringing this to me on the, on the podcast. I, I know. I told you I wanted you to join five minutes earlier. And <laughs> <laughs> it's inappropriate. No, that's not true. I used I all the proper channels. Mm-hmm. I read the handbook. But yeah, no, end of an era. Moving on. But dang, it's been, it's been a lot of fun, hasn't it? It has been fun. It's been great working with you. The impact that you've had on ThoughtBot will be long lasting. Uh, It was significant and long lasting. You know, I think that you joined at a really interesting time, you know, pandemic and all that stuff aside, like completely separate from that. Like we were going through important transitions and I think you're an important part of that. Um, you know, I remember commenting to you not long after you joined when you gave like the first company wide presentation that you were the first person, I think, who had ever done a full company wide presentation like that besides me. Yeah. Wow. That is, this feels like so long ago. Yeah. And you're just so fun to work with and collaborate with. 
and just be a team member with that, that you're definitely going to be missed. So thank you for everything. Thank you. I am definitely not tearing up. So no one has to worry about that. Yeah, no, it's hard to look back without getting choked up. It's been a really great experience. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad to hear that. I, you know, you brought so much to the table. We learned a lot along the way and, you know, it wasn't always easy. We, we, we had a marketing team working in a certain way, which went through a big change. I think we learned a lot about how the next phase of ThoughtBot needs to work. And I think you're an important part of getting there. So thanks again. Thanks for having me. Thanks to all you for listening. And I'm now available as a guest, which is the great (laughs) news. And I almost know how to set up all my recording settings. Um, So that's half the battle. Yeah, but it's been real. And thank you for the opportunity and the experience. So we will be back in a little while with new episodes of the show. You can subscribe to the show and find notes for this episode at giantrobots.fm. If you have questions or comments, email us at hosts at giantrobots.fm. You can find me on Twitter at cpytel. This podcast is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Mandy Moore. Thanks for listening. And for all you listeners out there, I'll talk to you next time. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is your expert design and development partner. Let's make your product and team a success.